James McGann, Solving Tornadoes. One of the kind of funny things that you get involved with in science is that you find that people have certain blind spots that are based on their political ideology. This kind of makes sense if you consider the different political ideologies, some of them being more tradition-based and others being more optimistic in the future-based. Liberals are more optimistic in the future-based and and conservatives, you know, politically are more um, traditional-based. And this follows through right in science. But here's the funny thing. There are parts of science in which the whole uh, subject is just conversational, consensus-based nonsense. Well, I'll, I'll just say that's I'm making that assertion. You don't have to trust me on that, but I'm making that assertion right now that much of it is conversational-based nonsense. And here's the thing. Most people are able to recognize the nonsensicality of the conversational part of their opponent's understanding, but they're very unlikely to be able to understand that of their own. Unfortunately, that means that things like, well, liberals like global warming and conservatives think it's nonsense and it's impossible to really figure out where the truth is on this because there's just there's nothing empirical about it. That's, that's all there is to it. That's the only conclusion any reasonable person can make. You know, um, you guys want to go around making speculations about things. You might as well make speculations about um, space invaders. You know, uh, there's probably more drama in that. No one's ever really found any problem with CO. But there's all this verbiage, all this conversational stuff that people fall for, that people are going to believe just because that's their nature. That's their ideological perspective. That's even, to some degree, it has their core beliefs or, or beliefs in general. And that's just the way it is. And so with meteorology, it's got a bullshit tradition based on these magical notions of convection, which are based on complete ignorance of any kind of sophisticated understanding of water making them worthless in any kind of an empirical sense. You can't even test them. You know, these are things like convection and dry layer capping and latent heat of condensation. These are all these magical terms that conventional people like. They have an attachment to that stuff. And so if you say that stuff is wrong, they'll get mad at you. They won't explain why. <laughs> no one ever does. And maybe they'll point you to some literature where someone else is telling you how much they like these notions. But they're all just meaningless notions. They don't really have anything to do with anything that's measurable or empirical. Now, there are people who I think are able to, you know, I, I've recognized that a lot of the same people who believe in global warming find it pretty easy to accept what I'm saying about the nonsensicality of meteorology's basic theory. And they don't really care to think about it that much. But the people who will not and who continue to this day to hold on to their belief in this nonsense are the conservatives, not the liberals. It's the conservatives. And it's a religious thing for them, just like global warming is a religious thing for people who have deep environmental beliefs. It has to do with core beliefs. So let me make it clear. Global warming is nonsense. There's no climate emergency. This has been obvious to any anybody who's actually paying attention 
could have easily made this realization as far back as 2006, in my opinion, because that's when there was some great data that showed us that sure enough, these people are making blatant claims. We're talking about the Michael Manns and, and that whole ring of kind of racketeering, in a sense, to create this false emergency. It's all documented. You just have to look at it. That's the case there. Now, some people like to talk about all the billions of dollars that have been spent and the la-di-da, la-di-da. Well, I don't know. You know, I, I suppose that's true for a lot of sciences. There's billions of dollars being spent. And uh, whether or not we actually get anything useful out of, them, out of parts of them, it's hard to say. Now, I, I of course, <laughs> would argue that this is it's meaningless. It's deceptive. It dissuades people from actually pursuing the truth in the field because it creates this false illusion that they have this expertise that they don't have and that they've therefore um, solved all these problems some deep level and that you should just not worry about the details. Well, let me, let me tell you something. There are no details and it's just a bullshit science. And that's the nature of meteorology with its now, I'm talking about the part of it that involves their theory of storms or in the physics of storms. It involves these kind of pseudo-physical concepts, one of those being convection. Now, there's any number of ways to define that, and you'll never get any one of them to, to stick to one of them at any point in time. That's, that's a different issue, not even going to go there. And then when they kind of realized that model just made no sense, they came up with this notion that dry layers have structural capabilities that hold down moist air below. And I'm not joking. They really said this. Dry air has structural properties. Think about what they're saying there. Because dry air is, is literally gas. Gases don't have any structural capabilities. That's like one of the characteristics of gases. That's something they don't do. So you would think if people were applying reason and stuff like that, and they'd eventually come to the right realization that, you know, it's a nonsense theory. Now, I figured out the right physics. and the, But the right physics have to do with recognizing the right role of water. You know, until you get that straight, you're not, there's just no way you could, arrive at the right physics and let me, let me kind of break it down to put it in a perceptual framework so that people understand where the kind of confusion is here now for the longest time it's been observed or it is plainly observable that when you have water in the atmosphere whether it be in the form of clouds or you know rain or whatever the case may be, it, it you also see this correlation with high flow and energetic flow. In other words, you kind of, there's a correlation between water and storm activity and vice versa, and which sounds like it's a real obvious thing. But my, my point is, though, that it's long been observed that there's this correlation, movement in the air, water. Now, if you go from there and then you try to go into uh, classic physics, you know, and let's say you, you got into thermodynamics, well, you would probably arrive at some conclusion along the lines that H2O might have these thermal properties 
and these thermal properties would be the mechanisms. And these thermal properties might even be some function of their phase changes that are happening in the atmosphere. So you might formulate these theories and you might propose some hypotheses and you might even start doing some tests along those lines. Well, they did. And uh, the test went nowhere, but they didn't have any other theory. Here's the mistake they made. Yeah, H2O, it turns out, it does have some interesting thermal characteristics that are even unique, you know, such as its high heat capacity. But that's very different than saying that it has this ability to produce some energetic flash in the pan as a result of a change in phases. And it's also especially silly when you consider that there really is no change in phases because the moist air in, in Earth's atmosphere is all, it's still in the liquid phase. It's just very small droplets. We don't have any gaseous H2O. It's much too cool on our planet, genuine gaseous H2O. And, and there's not even any of that up in the atmosphere. Now, here's what they missed. H2O has these surface tension properties. And these surface tension properties are noticeable uh, in the context of liquid H2O, but only as being a, a surface phenomenon and therefore very limited because surfaces are such a small part of what a water droplet is, let's say. But what if there's conditions where the H2O molecules are being pulled apart in such a manner that it produces a maximization of the surface area, more surface? And since surface tension is a phenomenon that shows up on the surface, we're intimating or suggesting that possibly if you could turn that knob on their ability to be dispersed, increase their surface area, which we can show real dramatically in, in um, non-Newtonian fluids, and therefore produce this ability to essentially effectuate structural properties. And that's what happens on wind shear boundaries, and they produce a kind of a plasma phase of H2O that is the result of spinning of mi micro droplets on wind shear boundaries. But it only happens under conditions where you have distinct layers between dry and moist air. But when it does happen, you there have the stuff from which these tubes can form, and then they can bridge long distances to continue these conditions to have essentially build these networks of flow in Earth's atmosphere. And that's really what you're seeing when you see a storm. You're seeing, well, there's activity there. There's introducing a lot of flow and a lot of low pressure because they're sucking it away and shooting it into the flow of the jet stream. That's what they do. So my point, just to get back around to where we were before, talking about the convection model and all that stuff, um, my point is they just simply chose the wrong feature of H2O. They chose these energetic qualities, and then instead of just staying within the boundaries of what relatively interesting, but not really all that dramatic energetic qualities H2O actually has, which involves its heat capacity, by the way, instead of staying within that and seeing if they could figure out something there, they said, well, let's create other drama. Let's create these other notions of convection, and that gives you this magic notion of air rising. And then they have dry layer capping, and that gives you this magic notion of a hand holding down the pressure. And then they have latent heat of condensation, and that's like, you know, they imagine it's almost like you're lighting a fire in the atmosphere, and you're releasing all this energy, and people believe this shit. It's very deeply believed, especially if you're a conservative, you know. 
You, you just believe. I, I've encountered so many conservatives to whom for which everything, what I've stated here is, is just gospel. And they're even embarrassed to, to even, it, like, like it's blasphemous to them to even be discussing the things that I'm openly discussing right here. That's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with the power of, of, of group dynamics when it comes to controlling what people believe. Because it's not like you have to try. No, it comes naturally. People strive to be part of this um, notion of knowledge, even if it doesn't actually make sense. You know, they still want to be on the forefront of believing and, and, under, and, and believing they understand it, even though it's nonsense. And it really is. It's nonsense. The, the convection model of storm theory is nonsense. There's just nothing you can do with it. There's nothing you could even test on it because it's so completely vague and otherwise nonsensical. All right. This is James McGinn, Solomon Tornadoes. Thank you. Bye.